Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the second week of this blessed month of Beba. First month was Tut. We went through that four weeks. Second month is Beba. Last Sunday we had the, the gospel was regarding the paralytic that was let, laid down through the roof. And, uh, and he was healed uh, because of the faith of his, of his uh, friends. And this week we have another miracle, another miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, or sorry, another miracle of the great catch of fish, but also of the calling of St. Peter and Andrew, James, and John. All of those uh, together were called in this one incident after this miracle. But before I get into the sermon, I wanted to remind you about something. I'll remind you by saying two words. Christos Anesti. You guys forgot? Did you forget? Christos Anesti. Why am I doing this now? Because we're six months from Easter. And I don't want you to forget that our coming together on Sunday is to celebrate the resurrection. We're coming here to, to celebrate that gift which God has given to us in uh, his, his sending His only begotten Son into the world who was risen from the dead and has given us life. And we, on this day, we received grace through the resurrection. And that has led us all to gather today. And that grace that we received has led us to gather today to give thanks and to glorify God. This is why you are here. This is why you are here today. To glorify God and to give thanks. Today's Gospel reading, I want to focus on it in the light of a verse from the Pauline Epistle. It was the last verse of the Pauline Epistle taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, from verse 5 to 15. Verse 15, to remind you of, the, of this passage, he said, We go through all difficulties. We are hard-pressed, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We are always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. And then he concludes this section, or the reading is concluded with, for all things are for your sakes. All things that we endure are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. That grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. And so this word grace is what I'm hoping that we can speak about today and understand the gospel, not just from the miracle standpoint, not just from the calling standpoint, but from the idea of grace. The idea of grace. Grace is one of these words that we hear a lot, quickly defined as free gift. Grace is a free gift. Grace is a gift that's not earned. Grace is a gift that's not deserved. Grace is a gift that's been given to us uh, for, for no reason at all. Um, you know, uh, many of us, we have these ideas of grace in our minds. What can be grace? People are gracious to us if they you know, give us something or let us go first, or for some reason we have 
some, something out of the blue that, that comes to us. It would, be, it would be grace if somebody gave us a church to pray in for free. That would be grace. Uh, it, would be, it would be grace if, uh, you know, I'm speeding down the highway, a cop stops me and then decides not to give me a ticket. I deserve the ticket, but the grace of the, of the police officer uh, let me off. Never happened to me, but I'm sure it happens sometimes. But th- this definition is not a theological definition. And it is... It doesn't go into the depth of the meaning of this word in our church. It doesn't go to the depth. Remember what St. Paul wrote to the Ephesians. He said, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He says, for by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. So yes, our salvation is a free gift, but what is that grace? What is that grace? Here is a book um, printed by Oxford Press. It's called Grace and Christology in the Early Church. Um, And there are chapters on this of just how St. Cyril understood grace, how... St. Athanasius understood grace, and others, Theodore of uh, Mopsuestia, and, uh, and even others from Antioch. But we're going to focus on how our fathers, especially St. Cyril and St. Athanasius, understood grace. It's going to be theology. I need you guys to sit up, to wake up. To, it's going to be a little, a little dense, but we can do it. I know many of you are professionals, experts in your fields. Uh, these words will define as we go along, but if you pay attention, you're going to learn something more about what God has done for us. So grace is generally divided into two categories. Here's the first big word, Christological and anthropological. So Christological means the grace that God has done for us. What God has done for us through Christ, that's the Christological, the study of Christ, Christological approach the understanding grace. And that's important. The anthropological or anthropology or study of humans is our response to grace. It's always divided into two categories. The, what Christ and what, what God has done through Christ and what we are supposed to do in response. And when we understand what Christ has done for us or what God has done for us, we have it in three parts. This is according to the writings of St. Athanasius and writings of St. Cyril. I'm, I'm just summarizing them. Three parts. The first part, the first grace that was given to us, was given to us in creation. When we were created. We weren't created to fall. We were created to be in union with God. This was grace. This was a gift. We didn't deserve to come into existence. God, out of His love, created us. And this is the first part of that understanding of grace is that God created us to be with Him. God created us to be perfect in Him, with Him, through Him. St. Athanasius says that we were immortal when we were created because of our close relationship with God through the Word. Through the Word. Jesus Christ 
is the Word made flesh, but before the, He took flesh, we call Him the Word, the Logos of God the Father. He is the one that with us. Forgive me, sorry. I have technical difficulties today. I forgot my iPad, and then this thing keeps resetting on me. So we have first the creation, and He created us to be in union with Him. We did not need salvation in the very beginning because we were in grace with Him. We were united with Him, and we were united with this special relationship. Second stage, when we're talking about grace, we have to understand the fall, that we fell out of grace. We rejected grace. Sin became a divider between us and that grace, between us and the union of God. So we have our union, then we have the fall which divides us, and then we have redemption which comes in the third stage, which is the entire life of Christ. Some people will say the grace came through us through His death. No, it begins with His birth. It begins with His very conception. The fact that He became human, that God united Himself with humanity, that God who is completely divine took on our nature, our humanity, and united Himself with us. He didn't pretend to be human. He didn't just you know, come for a, a quick moment. But He went through all the stages of life to, stay, to save us in all the stages of our life. And He renewed His grace toward us through the Incarnation, through His ministry, through His life and death, through His ascension, through His sending of the Holy Spirit. He... You, he he gives that grace again to us. And then when we say, for by grace you have been saved, it means from the very beginning, the creation, the fall, and then the life of Christ, all that He did for us, He's saving us again to be what? To be united with Him. Now, when we say you're saved by grace, it doesn't mean you're given a ticket to heaven, uh, non-refundable, non-revocable, um, you know, redeemable upon your death. Uh, may God give us all long life. That's not what we, meant, what we mean by you are being saved. That's not what we mean by how you're being saved by grace. You are saved by grace in the fact that you are allowed and granted access to be united with God again. You are given that access to be united with God again. And He gives all of us. And not just all of us, He gives everyone in the world this axis. St. Cyril, in his commentary on John chapter 17, verses 18 to 19, speaks about Jesus and what He was doing. And he says, From the Father, Jesus, coming from the Father, Jesus sought for us the holiness that is in and through the Spirit. So He sees us as fallen individuals, and then, but He wants us to have the holiness that is in and through the Holy Spirit. And He desires what was in us by the gift of God at the first age of the world and at the beginning of creation. He says He desires what was given to us in the very beginning to be rekindled again in our life. And that life to be rekindled within us. He desires, therefore... Christ, he's saying, or Christ is desiring, therefore, the nature of man, which is our humanity, to be renewed 
and to be molded and shaped anew, as it were, into its original likeness, what we were created to be from the very beginning. And if you read, especially the writings of, like, for example, St. Anthony. St. Anthony had letters that he wrote. And he would write in these letters, he says, to be normal and to be a human is to be perfect. Because that is what we were created to be from the very beginning. Is to be normal and human, to be a saint. That is what is ordinary. That is what is supposed to be expected of us. That is what we're supposed to follow. So he desires that what we had in the original, in our original likeness, would be again renewed within us. How? By communion with the Spirit, in order that by putting on that original grace, hear that word? By putting on that original grace and being reshaped into conformity with Christ, we may be found able to prevail over the sin that reigns in this world. Now that's some heavy, deep theology. I'll let that sit for a little bit. But if we look at today's story, Peter is shown a sign, a miracle of who Christ is through this miracle of the fish. And Peter is overwhelmed. Peter says, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. He recognizes immediately the holiness of God, of Jesus Christ standing before him. But what is Jesus doing? Is Jesus calling him because, you know, he needs something from Peter? Yes, Peter goes on and he does many things and we'll talk about that. That's the anthropological part of grace. But we're talking about the Christological part of grace. What is this now, this moment in time, is Jesus Christ caring after a soul? Caring after this one individual wishing to call him back to what was his original form, his original creation. And this is what he does for Peter, he does for all of us. He's calling us, each and every one of us, back to what we were originally intended to be. And we are all capable of becoming what we were all originally created to be. Nobody is incapable or unable of becoming perfect or holy. Even in our fallen sinfulness, we can be risen, we can be given that life of holiness. And we'll talk about that because it required a decision. It said that Simon Peter, after they had caught the fish, it said that they forsook all and followed him. Now there's this great little book by um, a Lutheran pastor. The name is, uh, his name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know if any of you have heard of him, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was alive during uh, Nazi Germany time, and he was a Lutheran pastor in Germany during the time of Adolf Hitler. He was part of the Lutheran church that was against what Hitler was doing to the Jews. And they have kind of characterized that church as calling the confessing church. Um, and he would speak out about a lot of what was going on at that time. And he ended up being killed um, by the Nazis uh, moments before the Allied forces uh, found Hitler, um, who had committed suicide at that point in time. But they killed, they killed him uh, with, with, a, with several others. And, but he wrote this book about the cost of discipleship. 
the cost of discipleship. And in the first chapters, he writes about cheap grace versus costly grace. Cheap grace is this idea that no matter what I do, it doesn't matter, God's going to forgive me, God is love, which is all true, but it doesn't evoke within me the, the right response. You know, if, if, if I am looking to God and I don't care if I sin or I don't sin, and I say, oh, God's going to forgive me, He's not going to hold this against me, He's a God of love, this idea is an idea of cheap grace. It costs me nothing. It costs me nothing. No change in my life, no difference in what I do. I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I'm just going to trust that God's grace is going to overcome and be able to, to cover any of my sins, but I'm not going to change anything in my life. He says, but costly grace is different. Costly grace is what we hear in, this, in these verses. They forsook all and followed him. They forsook all. And uh, Bonhoeffer, in his book, he goes to three parables. He says, the parable of the, um, the merchant who found the pearl of great price. What did that merchant do? It says in the gospel, that merchant went and sold everything he had in order to buy that pearl. And the second parable was the person who found the treasure in the field. Yes, it's a treasure. Yes, it's valuable. But what did they do? They went again and they sold everything they had to buy that field. This is the response that we need to have to grace. What does that mean to sell everything, to give everything? It means that in our lives, in our commitments, what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, nothing comes in between us and God. Nothing comes in between us and God. I can still be what I am. I can still do what I'm doing. But nothing is going to come in between my relationship with God and my response to the relationship with God. With the high school, with the high school youth, um, we on Friday we read the story of St. Polycarp, the martyrdom of St. Polycarp. And I pointed out to them the one verse in that in that martyrdom, which is incredible. He says, so Polycarp is an 80, uh, I don't know, 86 year old bishop. He's taken to Rome. He's put in a, in the, in, in, in a stadium filled with people. And the pro-council who's kind of putting him on trial, he says, you know, deny Christ, give, give incense to the idols. He says, and what's the, what's, the, what's, what's the big deal if you just give a little bit of incense? What's the big deal? You know, you don't, it's just something that you're doing for a show. And St. Polycarp responds and he says, for 86 years, I have served him. And he has done nothing wrong to me. How can I deny my king who has saved me? How can I deny my king who has saved me? For 86 years, I served him and he's done me no wrong. You see in the story of St. Polycarp, somebody who does not allow anything, not even death, to come in between him and his relationship with God. And when we think about St. Peter and his reaction, yes, it was St. Peter, and yes, it was something that was... Uh, St. Peter was able uh, to respond and to do great things afterwards. But there is something that Peter did that we all can do. 
And I'm going to use the words of St. Athanasius. St. Athanasius says, We must keep pace with the grace of God. We must keep pace with the grace of God. If you and a friend are walking side by side, right? you're walking side by side, arm in arm, you keep pace with each other. If one is walking too slow, the other one's going to get slowed down. And he says, if we don't keep pace, if we don't stay with the grace, it becomes slower and slower in our lives. We, we respond less and less to it. But if we keep pace with the grace of God, we become saints. We become holy people. We become people in whom Christ is formed again, formed new. Remember those words of St. Paul? He's how he said, I labor until Christ again is formed in you. And this idea also has to be in us. We have to keep pace with the grace of God. We have to keep pace through our prayers. We have to keep pace through our service. We have to keep pace with our fasting. Because all of these practices open us up to the grace of God. All of these practices open us up to receive that from Him. These are the practices of our church. And that's why our church is filled with, with saints. Because of the practices that were followed. The practices of fasting. That's why I come back Wednesdays and Fridays. The fact of repenting and confession. Even of coming to take Holy Communion frequently. Of preparing ourselves to take Holy Communion frequently. These are the practices that open us up to the grace of God to work within us. So that we can say, yes, by grace we have been saved. By grace we have been saved. Because we have responded to what God has given to us. We have responded to what God has given to us. I'll end with a prayer by St. Ephraim the Syrian. Listen to these words. <coughs> According to thy mercy, pour out upon me, I who am miserable, at least one small drop of grace to make me understand and to be converted, that I might make at least some small effort to correct myself. For if thy grace does not illumine my soul, I will not be able to see the carelessness and negligence that the passions have produced in me through my apathy and through my recklessness. May God hear our prayer and pour on us at least one small drop of His grace, that it can transform us and give us the ability to follow Christ and to love Him as much as we possibly can. And not only to love Him, but to do that which is pleasing to Him, to follow Him not just by our words, but by our actions as well. To God be the glory, now and ever into the age of all ages. Amen.